Hi, I'm Rebecca. And I'm certainly a grateful member of Al-Anon today. I certainly wasn't when I first came into Al-Anon. I didn't like Al-Anon. <clears throat> I didn't like Al-Anons. <laughs> I thought you were Girl Scouts. <clears throat> anyway, it's a pleasure to be here, and it's a pleasure really to be the kickoff speaker for this roundup. Uh, I come from Torrance, and we have a roundup there too, and it's a big event, and we start like Thursday. And so when I, I came in tonight and uh, I was... Uh, sharing with uh, Joanne, I said, well, what time does the meeting start, and what time do I get to stand up and talk, and how long do I share? And she said, well, you just share until you're done. I said, that may be next week at this time. (laughs) You know, we're a little nervous starting, but you can't shut us up once we start. You know, that's the deal. Anyway, um, I come from Hawaii. Uh, There was trouble in paradise. And um, I come from a family of six girls, and I'm, I'm the middle child there, and we, I came from a loving family. There was no alcoholism in my family. There was no drinking in my family. Um, I had a very uh, supportive parents. Uh, whenever we were active in school, they were always there for me. I, had, I knew nothing about alcoholism, not a clue. But when... Um, when we would go to family parties, because I come from a big family. In Hawaii, we have extended family, this room family. And uh, you know what? We would throw a luau, and my parents never send an invitation out, never. And when my son, it's traditional that when your, for your um, new baby turns one, we have a big luau, and then it's a big party. So when my son turned one years old, my dad threw him a luau, and uh, 900 people showed up. <laughs> There was not one invitation that was sent. About 800 of them was my family. (laughs) And it was just wonderful. And that's the way we grew up. Now, what I liked is that when we went to these parties and family parties, we liked family parties and we liked funerals. Because we got to see the cousins and the this and the that. And as, as cousins, we ran around. We were real close. And we would go to these parties. And then they were, you know, it was drinking. I just loved being around drinkers. They were really exciting. (laughs) They were. I mean, you know, we never had violence at our family parties. We never had this. We were just a lot of fun. So, of course, I was really attractive to right right down, right then. And we would go there and we'd have fun and all that, and my parents didn't drink. I, I knew there was not a problem with drinking, not a clue. But I was always attracted to the excitement. It, you know, some of us are just born that way. And uh, and I always loved it. But when you come from a family of six, and my father was a minister, and uh, but he was a working minister, which meant his congregation was small, so he had to work for a living plus heaven. And so because of that, I mean, they were busy. My parents were out all the time with the church and, and church members and blah, blah, blah. I, I used to say they were out healing the mass, and my sisters and I were home beating the crap out of each other. You know, and that's just the way it was. You know, you wore my blouse. No, I didn't, blah, blah, blah. But that's the way I grew up. It was a lot of fun. Um, I didn't, you know, it was like fun, you know, fun before it went bad. So I was always an independent kid because when you're growing up in that kind of family, you got six uh, kids and you're working, there's not much time. So we all grew up on our own, but yet together. 
So by, when I was in the seventh grade, and I remember that, that's a, um, a benchmark in my life, because I decided that I wanted, I was going to a public school, and I decided that I wanted to go to a, a private school. Now, my two older sisters were already in um, a private school, so I looked in the paper, and I found out when this uh, test was going to be given to be accepted at the school. So I went down, and I told my mother, and I caught the bus, went into town, took the test, came back home, and promptly called the school every day. Al-Anon's a very persistent. I knew I was accepted before the letter came. You know, and what happened to me is that when I, when I went to the school, what I found out is that my family was poor. You know, at the school, they were kids from, uh, there was a private school, and it was a parochial school, and my parents were very proud. I mean, their third daughter now in another private school, and, you know, how grateful they are and all of this. Well, what I found out about this school was that the girls weren't good. They were fast. You know, and they came from money, and no sooner they had, they were old enough to get their driver's license, they had cars, and my mother and my parents said, okay, go. I mean, you know, it's a parochial school. And I said, yeah. So they let me go out on, on weeknights, and I, one of the times we went uh, collecting for UNICEF. <laughs> and after we got through collecting for UNICEF, we spent the money. <laughs> And how we justified that was that um, UNICEF was for the needy and we needed gas and food. <laughs> so we took it right off the top, you know. And I had fun there. And after a while, my parents couldn't afford for me to continue that school, so I went into public school. During that summer, I uh, met a bunch of kids that were really not the type I grew up in. They were, they were exciting. You know, they didn't go to school. They came from projects. They came from, they had you know, just one parent, sometimes none. And I thought they were so great, you know. And when you don't, when the, your friends don't go to school, you don't go to school. My parents weren't too happy about that, you know. And by then, I, could, I was able to go out on weeknights. So what happens to that is when you start hanging around with people and kids that your parents aren't taking a liking to, you start running away from home. And I remember the first time I was on, uh, I passed the curfew, and I'm standing there on the street, and I'm with my friends, and my heart's pounding, and I'm going, oh, my God, should I go home? Shouldn't I go? Should I go? Should I? And I didn't. I didn't go home. And it was that rush. You know, it was that rush, like, yeah, this is okay. And I met some girls there. And the first time I was introduced to, um, my girlfriend introduced me to uh, one of the ladies of the night there. And I thought, oh, I can't touch her. <laughs> no, I would get some kind of germs or something. And that girl got to be a good friend of mine, and that girl saved me from several situations. So when I'm now on the streets and I'm running away from home, I, got a, I started having, this was a completely different life. See, I could go back to my regular life, but on the street, I knew, I started to learn how to hustle. I started to learn how to con. I started to learn how to steal. And it was fun. It was fun. So what happens is that I had so much fun, I ended up in detention home. <clears throat> and my parents aren't used to something like that. You know, my parents aren't used to that. So my mother, who's a crier, my father used to lecture. And sometimes, you know, my father really, truly believed in spare the rod, spoil the child. He did not spare the rod. So, you know, he would either lecture you to death, 
and my mother would cry. And if you're doing things like I do, you're getting a lot of lectures. So I would sit there and I would say to myself, just beat me and get the lecture over with. Between that and my mother crying. Now, at that point, I told myself I would never cry. I will never cry because my mother was a crier. So when I was in this, I was just in there a little short time. And so when I was in this uh, detention home, she it was Saturday was Sunday was visiting day for the family. And I was sitting at at uh, the table and my mother starts walking in. And from the door, she starts crying. <laughs> and I'm going, take me away. And, you know, I know as a parent today, I understand her dilemma. I understand her grief. I, I understand. I understood her pain, but I didn't know it then. I know selfish and self-centered. You AAs are not alone with that. <laughs> and I was. At that age, I was. And uh, But by the grace of God, I was able to finish school because what happens is that I get bored. And so, and then I, I had a principal in a high school that just was a principal in a boy's home, so I couldn't con him. He gave me an ultimatum, and I took it because I love challenges. You know, you doubt me, and it's on. And so that's what happened, and I was able to graduate from high school. I met a girl there that summer. Summers are dangerous for me. I met a girl, and she, had, she was living in California, and she was home for the summer, and we started hanging around together. And when summer was over, uh, she said to me that um, she was moving back to California, and would I like to join her? And I said, yeah. So uh, <laughs> that sounds good and uh, for somebody like me. And uh, so I went to my uh, parents, and I said, you know, I'd like to go to California. Now, I'm just 17 at that time. So I'd like to go to California and on and on. And my mother was saying, who's now, you know, they've had several runs in with the police because of me and all this. And she said, she tried to talk me out of it. And when she decided that she couldn't, she finally sat, looked at me. She said, if you made up your mind that you were going, why bother asking us? And I told her, I need for you to pay for my ticket. <laughs> it was really that simple. And so she did. And so I arrived in California, and it's just a bigger playground. You know, and I got myself a job, and we're going to work during the um, day, and we're just traveling at night and going to parties. And, and I didn't know in California they have different areas. You know, that you've got this area and that area and we'd go to parties and pretty soon you know we're ending up in fights because I didn't know he was your boyfriend <laughs> honest I didn't know and so you know but I'm used to this you know it's fun and then I'd work at a bank during the day <laughs> and then at five o'clock it was bingo we're gone and I went and I, I lived there for about four years before I met the God of my understanding <laughs> in California Along the coast of California, there are a lot of canoe clubs, and that's a sport in Hawaii. And uh, so when you're from, I'm sure it's the same way here, too. Here we're in California. We're from Hawaii. I'm Hawaiian. So, you you know, you kind of click with people from Hawaii and from your hometown. So we all met, and we went down to Paling, and... uh, I had heard about this guy, and I heard, I, I heard of his reputation way before I met him. And what I heard was this. He's crazy when he drinks. He'll drive his car on the sidewalk, and he passes out all the time. And then when I met him, I forgot what I had heard. 
you know. And for the simple reason is that he ignored me. <laughs> you know, I go, why are you ignoring me? You know, and he was sarcastic. Why are you sarcastic? So the challenge was on. The challenge was all the way from then to I reached Aladon. That's a long journey. I just look young. <laughs> so anyway, let me give you how the scenario goes. Paddling season starts in about April or Mar- March. You paddle, you work all day, you get off of work, and you go down to the uh, the beach, and you paddle. You you uh, practice Monday through Friday. Saturday is regatta. Saturday night is the party. Sunday is the hangover, and you party again. And that goes on all summer. It was a lot of fun. And I will tell you this much. When I met him and when I decided he was going to be mine, I was so lucky because I got him. And what happened was this. He put me on that pedestal, you know? You know how you guys do. And I felt pretty good there for a moment. And we had a wonderful, wonderful time. And it was a wonderful, I mean, a bunch of us got pregnant at the end of that summer. That's how good it was. (laughs) All our kids are good friends today, too. They were raised kind of like Calabash cousins, you know? And that's the way it ended up. So what happened was, my sponsor says, you know, that's the way they propose, you're what? (laughs) And that's what happened in my case. (laughs) And uh, so... Now, this is the start of where the separation between Al-Anons and AAs. We were going to get married. His family's from Hawaii. My family's from Hawaii. What's the cheapest route? We go back there to get married. I call home. I break the news to them. They said, okay, we're going to arrange for the, the luau and all this stuff. I said, okay. Now, he was going, he had just gotten out of the Marines, and he was going to, um, to an aeronautics school there. And so I was the one working. Now, this comes a hitch, guys. I paid for the wedding. I paid for the ring. The rings, his and mine. I got a good deal, though, because I was working at a bank. I knew the guy. And, um, <laughs> and I paid for my gown, and I paid for the airline tickets. Now, how good can you get we fly home, and one of the gifts that we got, a wedding gift, was that uh, um, a hotel room down at Waikiki. No problem. So we get married, and that night after the wedding, uh, he's a little drunk. He's real drunk. So my just newly met in-laws, my brother and sister-in-law, decide that they're going to take us out on the town after the reception. When Hawaiians party, we party very hard. And after that, we're going out. Okay. So after the wedding, we go back to our, to our hotel room, and I'm changing, and he, he passes out. Boom, hits the floor. My brother, my newly brother and sister-in-law arrive. That's her brother. I open the door. He's passed out. I look at them. She looks, she looks at her brother. I pick him up his head, slams it on the ground. He gets up and we off we go. <laughs> you know, up until, up until then, he loved me. <laughs> up until then, I was his, you know. So we get out and, uh, we're in this nightclub and everybody's having a good time and I'm having a good time and he's having a good time. Now, that's when I start focusing on him. 
And I happened to turn to him, and he was in a daze. But his daze was staring at another woman. And so I stayed with that stare at him <laughs> until I came to Al-Anon. Because that's what happened. It just shifted. You know, and that's what alcohol is. You know, I'll tell you the, what I feel is today. He didn't know what he had, and I didn't know it either. And what we did was we got married, and we just joined the journey of alcoholism until I got into a program. And that is the truth. He didn't know what he was dealing with. I didn't know what I was dealing with. I had absolutely no clue. Now, I don't come by this by accident. I know today that all my, several of my friends died of over ODs and, and, and drunk stupors. I have two cousins that were killed, one in a, a busted uh, drug deal that went bad, and he was shot. And another one was murdered because of a, a drug deal went bad. I grew up with these cousins. You know, I know today when I look back at both sides of my family, alcoholism was rampant. You know, and just because there was no drinking in our home doesn't mean that the ism wasn't there. You know, it, it doesn't. And so I didn't know a clue. He didn't know a clue. But before we got married, I, I've got to tell this story because uh, before I like excitement. So before we got married, uh, he always owned the Corvette. Doesn't that sound nice? You don't know how his Corvette looked like, though. It barely was hanging on. So anyway, he picks me up, and this is before we got married. He picks me up, and I jump in the car, and we're at the signal, and he's ramming his engine, and I'm going, yeah, you know. That red light turns green, and he, his car, the car lifts, and we're gone, and I am in heaven. And then there's red signals behind, you know. So he gets pulled on the side, and it only started out with one cop. By the time it was over... The sergeant was there. Two or three other cop cars were there. And he talked himself right into getting arrested. <laughs> you know, they tried to give him a break. So, you know, up until this time, all the trouble I got into was the kid stuff. You know, that was before I, I, I turned 21. So I'm not used to this. I'm not used to bailing. That was my first time visiting the bail, bonds bailman, you know. So... He gets locked up. I'm appalled. You know, he's a good guy. What do you mean he was a little cocky? <laughs> Why are you tightening his handcuffs that tight? Because he wouldn't shut his mouth. And so I go down and I, you know, and of course, I don't have that kind of money then. So what? I bring my jewelry, right? We pawned that puppy. Um, so we're down there. And the bondsman, he pulls his rap sheet. Pulls his rap sheet like this. I'm working for the bank. He looks at the rap sheet. He looks at me. He looks at the rap sheet. He looks at me. Finally, he turns to me. He said, what is a girl like you doing with a guy like this? And I got angry at him. He didn't understand. He did not understand. I had no clue. So we get married. And I have um, a little boy. And, you know, I remember just before we got married, he got locked up on a 502. And that's a DUI. I don't know what you call it in this area. It's like locked up. So I remember him turning to me and said, you know, we were just purchasing our first home. And uh, he turned to me and he said, you know, I'll never do this again. And, you know, he was very sincere. I later found out in Al-Anon, yeah, he was sincere. 
I didn't know anything about addiction. I didn't know anything about compulsion. And I'm here to tell you, he didn't know either. So, okay, you know, okay. So what happens during that journey is that all these false promises. On By now, I am not a fun person to be with. You know, now I've got two kids. I am not a happy camper. You know, now my job was to band-aid that puppy. You know, the one jam got in, I'll just fix it, and then it'll get better. Another jam we're in, I'll just fix it, and it'll get better. And so what happens to that is that I got lost behind that, and I started to really resent him. And he was a binge drinker, and he's a bar drinker, so he's gone a lot. So I'm left with my thoughts. Not a good place to be in is my own head. And... uh I'm a reactor, so, you know, he comes home, you know, he stands 6'4", and here I am. But when you're angry, and he's the one who did wrong, it was really interesting in our house. He never wanted to keep a gun in our house, because I would use it on him. You know, I truly would. You know, it's like, you're gone for five days and you want me to be what? Loving and kind? That is not on the menu today. You know, and now I got these kids to cart around. And I'll, I'm going to tell you something. You know, Alan and I, sometimes we get a, a reputation of being controlled. No, we don't. I gladly give up the control to anybody. But I have these two kids. And thank God, you know, they, I'll tell you something what I learned in Alan on. What I learned before coming to Alan on, my kids were suffering. You know, I used to want to punish him, I'd go to my kids. In front of him, and I picked on him, and I picked on him. I'm not, I'm not proud of that, but I turned to them because I wanted him to see how much I was suffering, and so I picked on him. So I came into this program guilty of what I did, you know, guilty. I was never guilty of trying to commit murder with him, never. But I was guilty of what I was going to do to him, to my kids. And I can remember this. I can remember my daughter crying. She was crying, and I told her to stop it. To stop crying. And she stopped on a dime. She was more afraid of me than she was afraid of her father. You know, she was more, because they had me 24-7. You know, I was the one picking them up. I was a screaming idiot on the street. I was the one trying to run somebody off the road. I was the one. You know, it's not, it's not, it's a family disease. You know, we all got affected. All of us. Every single one of us got touched by that, including my employers, my family, my friends. They would look at me, and I know they wanted to say, just leave him, but they were afraid. And I would just grumble and grumble. It's not a pretty story. You know, it's just, it's not a pretty story. And so, you know, I w- the deal about it is I would stay up, and I would just wait. It's like, because I had to get him to work so he could get the money. Because we have to fix this thing. We have to. And I'm going to tell you something. I am so grateful Cliff is here tonight. Because when I first heard Cliff's story and he talks about, you know, I won't give it all away. We don't have time. But part of his story, you know, he talks about that first drink and that 15 seconds of good. Well, that's why I stayed married to him. Because that 15 seconds when he was sober was wonderful. And I wanted to recapture that moment. And that's what happens to Alanons. It happened to me. Because when he was good, he was good. But pretty soon, you know, 
tension starts building in the house. And so I'm trying to cover things up because God, I don't want him to go. I don't want him to binge because the havoc that starts, you know, we're, we're all too familiar with that stuff. All too familiar. So after about um, 15 years of this stuff, I decided because, you see, I run the show, I think. So I decided that uh, we were going to split up, and he would go out, fall on his face, and come back home, stop drinking, and we would be happy. I mean, it seems simple enough. (laughs) Over 22 years ago, insurance programs were big in California. So when he left the house, I went looking for help. Up until that point, I did not know anything about Al-Anon, nothing. I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous, and it was just the name I knew. One day, one night, I called Alcoholics Anonymous, and I whispered, because I wasn't sure if he was. So, and I whispered, you know, I think my husband is, he may, could be, (laughs) that he's an alcoholic. Now, I'm whispering in the bedroom, and nobody's home. <laughs> but I am so afraid, because he may be. You know, I am so afraid, because I, I would have to face it. What do I do now? But anyway, after that time, he, um, I found an insurance program. And I'll tell you something. You know, al we're really resourceful. When we put our nose to the ground, we find you. So I found this insurance hospital program that would take the children and I without him. And we went as outpatients. And during that uh, visit and that stint at at the treatment center, um, the hospital program, they said that I would have to go to attend one Al-Anon meeting a week. My first uh, time at this uh, hospital program is... We walked into it, and it was orientation. There was a bunch of us sitting down, and, and you know, they you know, they'd kind of give you a hello and a welcome, and why are you here? And I said, well, I'm here because my, my husband dr- drinks too much, and I want to know how to fix it. And I really don't have, have that much time, so let me know. And they just kind of looked at me. By the time the treatment program was over, and they give you an orientation, and then they give you a, a send-off. And <laughs> the counselor said... He said, there, uh, all the counselors met to talk about each case, and they, they said that with mine, it was extremely different. And I didn't understand what it was, and he explained this to me. He said, one of the sessions, what it was is like this. When we went to the hospital on, on three nights a week, the kids would go to their um, therapy, and I would go to mine, and then there would be a break, and then there would be a family session. And in that family session, whatever was Coming up in either rooms was, you know, the counselor would just kind of manipulate it open. And so that night was my turn. And uh, we were sitting around the room. And you know us program people, we always have advice for you. So we're sitting around the room, and, uh, and they work it so that the kids, the problem on my kids. And what happened in that session was that my children told them, in, in their discussion that they were deathly afraid of me and that I was violent. So what they, what they had to do was tell me, you know, and in, in a nice way, you know, in a kind and loving way about being violent. 
And you know, I, you know, I make I make gesture with that, but it's not funny. But you know, they went around the room, and everybody makes suggestions. You know, when you get angry, you don't know you can hurt them badly, and and you know, walk away. And everybody's got a solution. I never asked for any help, but they had the answer. <laughs> And so after everybody said and done, and I'm looking at them, and I told them this. I said, when I reach that point, I want to hurt them. When I reach that point, I want to see red. I have passed the point. But I do thank them for their suggestions, you know. And that was it. So I was starting to feel good because that's when I went to my first Al-Anon meeting. And I walked into the Al-Anon room, and I'm going to tell you honestly, I had no clue what you were talking about at all. I do know that you were quite a bit older than me. (laughs) And I didn't understand what you were saying. But anyway, after the hospital session was over, um, they went ahead and it was over. You know, it was $10,000, thank you very much, we'll bill you the insurance and goodbye. But what I remembered was Al-Anon. So I started to go to Al-Anon meetings, you know, because, see, the gift of this program is that I could sleep through the night. And I didn't have to wait to hear his car. You know, you know the car down the street that you know it's his because the muffler's falling off. You know it's his. You know, and that call saying, pick me up, and he goes, and I go, where? And he said, I don't know. You know that call? So, um... So anyway, so I started going into these meetings, and it was just the last house on the block, you know. I had no clue. I'd run out of friends. I had run out. I mean, they were very tired. My friends never left me. They were just very tired of hearing the same old garbage all the time and no solution. So I go to these meetings because I start feeling better again, and then I start feeling ugly again, so I'd go to the meetings. And um, in the meetings, they had the 12 steps and the 12 traditions hanging I saw God, and I checked out. You know, I was not with you. But that's okay, because it was a place to go. Now, I got myself a sponsor. Thank you, God. I never listened to her. (laughs) You have to really surrender, you know. I wasn't at that point yet. I couldn't sleep. I didn't look like hell, but I wasn't at that point. So, luckily, God gave me a sponsor. That was very active in service, you know, and was very active in the program. And so you kind of get caught up with that. But for the longest time, I would go to meetings, and that particular meeting I would go to, you know, they would pass the book around, and you'd read it, and you share. And I would just I, I would just get so nervous. They would get to me because I didn't know what to say because they never talked about him. And by that time, by that time, Everything I thought of and said was about him. But they talked about blue skies, birds, and I thought they were nuts. <laughs> you know, and how happy they were. And this is a good one. How grateful they were. I wanted to puke with her. <laughs> but I stayed because I had nowhere else to go. You know, I... <laughs> I remember I, I, I called my sponsor one day and I said, you know what? My son came home with bad grades. And she said, okay. And I said, do you think being on restriction a year is too strict? <laughs> she goes, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, you know, I was just really out there. 
you know, I was really out there. I couldn't control anybody, but boy, I gave it my best shot. So things started to get better, and I started getting involved in the program. And, you know, one thing, you know, I was fearless up until I got my sponsor. And for some reason, I got real fearful. <laughs> really fearful. So she was new in that area, and so she wanted to, you know, her sponsor had, had suggested that she, she start a meeting. So, you know, I was new to her, and I was able to be with her during the day because um, the company I worked for, well, anyway, I was able to be with her for a year, and thank God I, God knew I needed a year with her. Um, so I would hang out with her every day. So her and I went, you know, and she, she found this meeting, and she said, you're going to be the first secretary. I said, sure. And she said, Al-Anon, never, Al-Anon meeting never closes. There is no holiday in Al-Anon meetings. I said, okay. So she said, if it falls on the holiday, this meeting opens because there is somebody that will come. You know, and this meeting started really small. There were like two or three of us. So I said, okay. And so, you know, I got to be, and she, she had people would come in. And, and in California, we are so fortunate because we have tons of meetings. And she had tons of friends, and, and they would come and speak at our meetings. And it was just great. But in the very beginning, it was nothing. And she said, there are no, Al-Anon does not close on holidays. I said, okay. So that year, it happened to fall on Christmas Eve. And I showed up, and two other al showed up. And my sponsor was busy. <laughs> And I said, okay. But what it did for me was that it made me responsible. Because when I came into this program, I was just as flaky. My promises were nil to my children. You know, I would promise them to go to the movies. And if he showed up or if something else showed up or if I was too busy worrying, I would break that promise. I would absolutely break that promise. I was so totally lost. So, in this program, I started to become responsible. When I became, when I started to do service, I started to become responsible. Now, for, at that time, now he's in and out of the house. He's in and out of the house. When he's home, I have to watch him. You understand? I got to watch him. But I know I am also fearful of my sponsor because I have a commitment at that meeting to set up. I'm here to tell you, he came to the meeting and helped me set up. <laughs> I would bring him to the meeting, because i got to watch him. I would bring him to the meeting, we'd set up the chairs, start the coffee, and leave. But my commitment was done. And she would walk, she told me that she said, everybody would come in and the meeting would be, you know, like, wow, God set up the meeting. And she said, oh, he's home, you know. <laughs> And that's how I do. I surrendered in this program, working the steps with a sponsor. I was that self-willed. I was that self-willed. I struggled with every single step. The only reason I did my fourth step was just through mere peer pressure. Because <laughs> everybody would come up to the podium and say, I just did my fifth, and I just want to gag, you know? <laughs> But I did, you know, it doesn't, who cares how, it, as long as you do it, you know, as long as you do the steps, who cares? So, you know, 
we're, I knew at this, so I'm going, I'm reading all the literature, I'm going, how do you do this forceship? And I'm reading the, the four columns, and I'm doing this, and I am so totally confused. But what my sponsor did was very wonderful, too. And she gave me a journal, and she said, I want you every day to write, Dear God, just anything. You know, Dear God, he can drop dead. Dear God, they can drop dead. You know, anything. <laughs> And then I would hang out with her, and this I used to think was real corny, but I love it. We would find a parking space, and she'd go, thank you, God. And I would, you know, I kind of go, uh-huh. But I started to do that, and that's how I started to get the spirituality in my life. You know, I started to be grateful, and I started to be thankful for the little things. And she gave me a mirror, and she said, um, Oh, she also gives us stickers, and it says, she said, put it up on your mirror, and it says, you are looking at the problem. <laughs> and she, she'd tell us to stick it on the mirror, and she would tell me every day just to look in that mirror and say, you know, God loves you, and Rebecca loves you. And I would say that every day. I got so paralyzed in this program that when I was first new in this program, because when I was in this program, and I was working the steps with a sponsor, going to meetings, being a service, I found out about her. Now, I don't care how spiritual you are. When you find out about her, that goes right out the window. And that's what I did. Now, I did, I did crazy things before program. I went insane in program. Like taking his clothes with your kids, driving down to her house and dumping it on the steps. Because by then, I found out where she lived. Stalking. Stalking is not new to us. (laughs) 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 Stalking is not new to us. Road rage is not new to us. You know? Yeah. Trying to, you know... And I also found out he has a God of his understanding because I tried to run him over. He jumped the wall and was gone. <laughs> and that was with the sponsor working the steps and going in. <laughs> I had to do all that before I surrendered to the God of my understanding, and it was not him. I had the hardest time with that, but I would give, you would become my God of my understanding if you pissed me off, you know. It was just that simple. But I did all that for as long as I did all that. But somebody like me, when we finally catch on, I'm a slow learner, but when I catch on, look out. And that's what happened. That's what happened. I was so much in pain that I finally surrendered. And then I started to know. Then I started to appreciate. Then I started to know. And I'll tell you this. I had that spiritual awakening. And what happened to me, I was in my house. I remember it. I remember it as if it was last night. I was in my house, and I cannot tell you what I thought of, but what I can tell you is this. I had a warm glow just go right through my body, all the way to my toes. And then I knew the God of my understanding was with me always. And it was just like that. I felt so warm. It was just like that. I am not an angel. Don't get me wrong, because that passed. (laughs) (laughs) And I had to find out and admit to, you know, I had to, the biggest deal was my fifth step. I, you know, fourth step is a breeze, man. 
you know, I'm going through that. I finally caught it. I'm going through that. Now I got to do a fist step. <laughs> now I got to tell another human being, not somebody proud like me, by golly. Of course, checks are bouncing and everybody's check. This is what is really insane. You want to know what's insane? I would come in the house and be screaming, fighting, screaming, fighting. I'd walk out, look at my neighbor, go, hi. <laughs> As if we lived in a padded cell. <laughs> you know. You know what I mean? As if, you know, it's like, you don't, you didn't hear what went on outside. When I'm running after him on the street trying to hit him. No. I was in a store, I was in a grocery store one day, and this woman said hello to me. And I kind of looked at her. She said, I'm your neighbor. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> My deal was go to work, come home, go straight in the house, and worry about him. And in the meantime, take the kids to baseball. Take, take the kids to this. Take the kids to that. You know, such a martyr we are. <clears throat> but I did it. You know, it, it, you know, when I told my sponsor, I said, you know, because she had a rough life before Al-Anon. And I thought she was crazy when she said, I'd do it all, get, all again. I would relive it all again to have what I have today. And I thought she was crazy. But that is so, so true. It is the gift of this program. It is truly the gift of this program. And things started happening. Now, my story isn't done yet. When that's, that roundup that we have in, at the South Bay Roundup in Torrance, California, I was two years program in the program, and I was asked to share at a newcomer's panel. And there were like two or three of us. And it was in a little room upstairs in the, in the hotel. And I went up there, and I was sitting there. And my sponsor was sitting in the first row, and I was in the back. And I kept looking her, at her, giving her the high side. My husband decided to show up to see how honest I would be. He stood there at the door in, in the roundup. Sober AAs. Not to sober Al-Anons. <laughs> and he's sitting at the, and he's got a beer. And he, and I'm going. And she thinks I'm just nervous about sharing. And she's going, it'll be okay. So I stood up and I walked in and, and I got to say, because by then, at two years in Al-Anon, by then you taught me just to share in the eyes and not the use. When I took the steps, I ended being a victim. I recognized my part in this whole madness. I recognized the fact and I love, I was so baffled by this disease because my husband was not, the type to come home and grumble and this and that and, you know, be violent or anything. I was so baffled that when I went to a open AA meetings and I heard them share, it answered a lot of things. And at AA meetings, they laughed. And I started laughing because your husband was funny. Not my husband. <laughs> your husband. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's a miracle when Al-Anon's laugh. At first we do it by mistake. Uh-oh. <laughs> I learned to have fun in this program. I got served court papers at my home group Al-Anon meeting. We were going through a divorce. And uh, I saw this guy in the room. He saw me. Meeting started. Everybody introduces his name. You know, you know in our room, in our Al-Anon, everybody introduces he comes to me at the break. I start smiling. He slapped that paper in front of me. I got served court papers. I go up to my sponsor. I said, I just got served court papers. And she said, 
Good. You raise your hand and you share what better place to, serve, to have it served than at an Al-Anon meeting. And she was absolutely right because I was not devastated. You know, I was home. I went to court a lot during this divorce. I went to court so much I welcomed the newcomer. <laughs> you know, I knew the routine of the judge, trust me. So I'm sitting there. Now, you would think we had money. We fought over nothing. We had nothing. But, boy, when he changed his mind, everything went. So, um, anyway, so I was sitting there, and this girl was next to me, and I noticed, because, you know, you learn to be of service. And she was right next to me, and she was shaking and shaking. And I grabbed her hand, and I said, are you new? And she said, yes. I said, is this your first day in court? And she said, yes. And I told her the format. Trust me. And by the time she was done, she knew, the girl next to her knew. I mean, I had the place covered, you know. I'm serious. This is no lie. <laughs> and what it did for me is it got me out of self. And I shared with Alan on going through that experience. You know, I'm here to tell you, we have a very powerful, powerful fellowship. Whatever the dilemma you're in, there is somebody out there that has walked before you on that and can share the experience. And there were many Al-Anons that had the experience about court. They told me many things. They told me things like this. Take notes. You're just a number to your attorney. And that's what I did. Me, and when I met with my attorney before then, I would go through that stuff with her, and it was fine. You know? We... <laughs> We were at uh, one of the court dates, and uh, we broke. The um, judge said, take a break, blah, blah, blah. So we take a break, and we get back to after lunch, and we're waiting. And, you know, that's when the court had a little taste of waiting for him. And we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and he hadn't come back yet. So the judge looks at his clerk, and he said, how long has Mr. So-and-so been gone? And and I said, about 20 years. <laughs> the judge did not like it. <laughs> we Al-Anons have a sense of humor, trust me. <clears throat> it was wonderful being in this program. And I'm going to tell you something. I may have been a messed up mother, but I'm a great grandma. I am a great grandma. And uh, my daughter, when... Uh, I remember she, you know, I, I would be fighting with her and everything. And one night she just, she was screaming and yelling because one more time she did whatever she did. And she ran out of the room and she goes, I hate you. And I said, well, you're not on my top ten either. <laughs> and that's what Alan on taught me, you know. So, anyway, my first uh, granddaughter, her firstborn uh, was seven weeks and she died of SIDS. I'd like to tell you that I was gracious in, in, in going through that, but I wasn't. You never want to get a call 5 o'clock in the morning from your daughter saying, Mom, I don't, what, you know, we don't know. <clears throat> and uh, she, when after everything was said and done and the services and everything, she was with us seven weeks. She was healthy, healthy baby. You don't know. There's no rhyme or reason. You know, when I was growing up, they called it crib death. Now they call it SIDS. And, and so she, would, she came to me. She goes, Mom, why? Why, Mom? And I said to her, I said, you know, we waste so much time thinking about why and the reasons. Just know that she was with you for seven weeks. And what you taught me in this program became so automatic. What I was taught is to do the next indicated thing, and I did. 
and I did. My children, my, I took my children to Alateen. And uh, I didn't know, I would drop them off. I even went to Fullerton, which is pretty far away from Torrance. But I heard they had Alateen meetings there too, so I took them and I would drop them off and I would go to an Al-Anon meeting right down the street. I didn't know until years later that they would go to the Alateen meeting and sit outside <laughs> because they did not belong, they thought. And that's okay. You know, that's okay. My children are not in the program. My children got affected by alcoholism. If it wasn't for the fact that I, I did the steps and worked with others, I would be devastated because now they're adults and now they tell you things that you would not want to have want to hear. And they are very open and honest about it. For several years, I did not have a relationship with my children. And that was okay. That was okay, and I'll tell you why. Because I know that I had so much control over them that they, we had to split. You know, I made all the decisions. I ran the show. You know, I would tell you, when you're getting married, what your new name will be. You know, it's ridiculous. So my daughter and I, I believe today that we fought a lot, and she, we had to split. But because I was in program, and because I was busy working and doing what I was supposed to do, our relationship healed. My sponsor has always given me, for a few years I stopped going to meetings. I was working two jobs, and I was, I was being of service to my, my daughter. She wanted to, t- she, she's taken hula all her life from the day she's three years old. Uh, and uh, she wanted to take Tahitian, and I took her to Tahitian. She would have to go and learn that lesson for two or three times a night. And then when they went to competition, it was a, a, a really exhausting thing. But I did it. I did it because you taught me to be that way. I did it that that was my amends to my children. You know, and I became very supportive of them. Um, I was, by the way, I was supportive of them before, but this time I was smiling. That's a big difference. And so for two or three years, we didn't talk. You know, a situation came up and we didn't talk. And and both my children, and just recently my sponsor uh, moved out of the area. And she moved up to Northern California. And she's always been the one to give me my cake. We celebrate birthdays in Al-Anon at my home group meeting. And uh, she, she, wasn't there, she wasn't going to be there to give cake, and this is just in January. And so uh, by then, I had, we were talking to, uh, my daughter and I were on talking terms. And she, uh, I asked her if she would give me my cake. Now, my daughter is so familiar with Al-Anon. When I used to share at conventions and she was young, she would come with me. She knows all the words, by the way. She knows how to use them. And... Uh, so she's, you know, she's a married woman today with uh, three children. She was able to have three more loving kids, and she was there to give me my cake. What a gift. You know, this is the girl that would not talk to me. This is the girl that was into blame. And I was just, I just asked her. You know, and that's what you taught me, just ask. And if they say no, ask again. You know, and you keep asking, you keep inviting. But in this time, I didn't have to. And she was able to give me my cake. And I wasn't, you know, I really wasn't that emotional about it until it came time for her to give my cake. And I looked in at her eyes, and she grabbed me, and she teared. The whole meeting teared, and I teared. Because that's the gift of this program. Because 
I learned how to heal and love. And because of the steps and because of the God of my understanding, it flows out. And I turned to, um, there were a lot of us. Uh, January is a big month for birthdays, by the way. We surrender in January. <laughs> and there was Chris there, you know, and she, she's after me because she's like 26, whatever. <clears throat> and, you know, we all remembered because our kids grew up together. You know, they went to Alateen meetings. Well, they were supposed to. <laughs> you know, and, and it was just history again. And she knew it. And she, she was going to just give me my cake and then leave. But she said, um, she stayed, decided to stay because she forgot that there's laughter in our rooms. And people were sharing and she was laughing. And she goes, Mom, you know, see, she grew up going to, Alan, to program functions, but she was a kid. And now she was a mother. And she's sitting there and she's hearing us. And she said, um, one day her and I started to talking. And she said, she told me, she, she talked about her feelings. And she, I said, oh, it's rage. She said, yeah, it is. And she started, because that's what he taught me. You started to label my feelings. That it was just that simple. Because I didn't know what my feelings were. Now, I have to go back to my grandchildren because they're wonderful. And my oldest grandson is born on Valentine's Day. He was born on Valentine's Day. He's just a love. And his sister. He's got a younger sister that is so cute. So um, one day he was over the house, and he was he's nine. He just celebrated his ninth birthday. He was about maybe three or four. And he said, maybe five, he says, he had been to some museum or something, and, and someone had taken him, uh, took him to the museum, and he was telling me about his, his uh, travel and his journey. And I said, oh. And he said, um, and so I said, well, you know, I was asking kind of nothing questions, you know. It's like, so one of the questions I asked him was like, um, oh, well, is she pretty? And he was eating his bowl of syrup. He was eating, and he stopped. He looked at me. He looked out and he looked at me again. He said, not as pretty as you, Grandma. I said, son, you will go far. You know, I am present with my grandchildren today. You know, I am loving it with my grandchildren. His little sister is just a kick. I, they were over the house one day, and I was clean, busy cleaning, and they were sitting down at the table, him, his sister, and another cousin, and they're eating their candy and stuff. And she's only five today, but she's very good. She comes by it, honestly. And so my grandson says, Grandma, you're always busy. You're always working so hard. I said, yeah, well, Grandma has to clean this and this and that. He goes, yeah. He said, I said, but when you get older, you can help Grandma. It's okay. You can help Grandma. And his sister, without skipping a beat, said, not me. <laughs> you go, girl. <laughs> you know, and I am present today with them. I am present. I was a flake. I, I used to always be late for everything, late for everything, uh, for program stuff. And one day I showed up at my sponsor's house. Going, we, were, we used to go in, in whole car loads to go to speak somewhere or do whatever. And I showed up and they were gone. And what I learned is that you taught me by showing action. And from that day on, I was never late. Never late to a program function. Never late. 
I work with others today. What a gift. You know, what a gift. I have a family that I am the only one in my family in program. I am an example, good or bad, of this program. I learn how to detach, mainly because I take my own car. <laughs> and when the heat's on, I'm gone. And that's what she taught me. It was such a pleasure. And, you know, the, the, your slogan for this round is, we can do it. And by God, we did. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this recording. To obtain additional copies, receive a free catalog of AA and Al-Anon talks, or to find out about our tape and CD of the Month Club, call Encore Audio Archives at 1-800-878-1308 or visit our website at www.12steptapes.com.